support from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. Hawkeye, Hawkeye, good afternoon and welcome to the broadcast. The race for the White House starts tonight in icy Iowa as the candidates for president make their closing argument. We will make America great again. I promise you, our best days are yet to come. I'm running for your issues and your family's issues. I'm running to turn this country around. If you do your part, we will do ours to make sure that our country's best days are actually still ahead of us. Vivek Ramaswamy, Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, and Donald Trump all urging voters to brave the elements and show up for the first in the nation nominating contest of 2024. You can't sit home. If you're sick as a dog, you say, darling, I've got a bet. Trump on the stump last night in Iowa. Polls show him very much in the driver's seat. Former Iowa caucus winner Mike Huckabee. The caucus winner is probably not the real story. The story is who are the caucus losers. Because what Iowa does, more than it catapults a person to the presidency, it actually starts eliminating people in the demolition derby called the primary. For Ron DeSantis, tonight's results could be make or break for him. I'm the only one that could possibly compete with Donald Trump in a Republican primary. Sub-zero wind chills could throw a real monkey wrench in tonight's political pep rallies. Reporter Alice Barr is in dangerously cold Des Moines. Forecasters are anticipating wind chills potentially as low as negative 45. That is wild. It is also dangerous. And historic. This kind of cold is the coldest cold ever recorded during during the Iowa caucuses. These Trump supporters say no matter the weather, though, they're still going to caucus for him. Look at what he's gone through and done for us. You know, we should stand by him just as heartily. And, you know, a little weather isn't going to stop us. I want to uh, support our president, and uh, this is the way to do it. Pastor Robert Jeffress thinks evangelicals will be key to Trump's success this year. The left absolutely hates the idea of evangelical Christians being involved in politics. Yeah. But you know, when Jesus told us to be salt, he meant we're to be a preservative in society. Our faith doesn't just impact what we do for one hour on Sunday morning. It impacts every area of our life, including the people we select for public office. Trump won 84% of the evangelical vote in 2020 after receiving 77% support from that demographic back in 2016. 100 million Americans facing freezing temperatures this week. The knee-knocking nose-numbing, face-freezing cold won't quit for several more days. An Arctic blast is sweeping the country. I felt like my jaw was freezing. It was very cold. The frigid punch also hitting millions with bone-chilling temperatures. Much of the country could dip 20 to 45 degrees below average today, including parts of Texas, where cold weather has overwhelmed the power grid in recent years. You lose power, you lose heat, then you risk your pipes freezing. Driving has been treacherous, too, with icy roads 
roads and blinding snow. Correspondent Jesse Kirsch in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where the wind chill is 20 below today. This weekend marked 100 days of war between Israel and Hamas in Gaza. Here's correspondent Charlie Daggett. It is a grim milestone for everyone here. 24-hour vigils, demonstrations across Israel, and remembrance of those victims of the massacre. Fears over the fate of hostages still missing, and the ongoing tragedy of the soaring death toll inside Gaza itself. The death toll now surpassing 24,000. 85% of Palestinians in Gaza have been displaced by the fighting. Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders says the destruction of Gaza is worse than what happened to many European cities during World War II. If I use the word Dresden, Germany to you, you think about the horrific destruction What is going on in Gaza now is worse than what took place in Dresden. The White House wants Israel to lower the intensity of its bombing campaign. This war started October 7th when Hamas terrorists invaded Israel and killed over 1,200 civilians while taking hostage nearly 250 others. 136 innocent Israelis are still being held hostage today. A migrant woman and two children are dead after drowning in the Rio Grande. They were trying to cross the border from Mexico near Eagle Pass, Texas. These deaths come as the state of Texas battles the Biden administration over its porous immigration policy. Just this week, the National Guard in Texas added new barbed wire and fencing along the area of Eagle Pass where the drownings occurred. A question to consider today as we honor slain civil rights leader Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Are we properly observing the holiday? King Day really has to be much more of an activism type day where you're teaching people about the messages and then you're really getting out there and and doing some of the work. Dr. Walter Kimbrough at Rutgers University is concerned that King's legacy has been trivialized. I've just watched people, to me, lazily use the same parts of quotes of King. Kimbrough says, unfortunately, most people don't delve deep enough into King's ideas, much less his dream. Former President Ronald Reagan signed a law in 1983, making the third Monday in January Martin Luther King Day. A volcano in Iceland is added again. It's erupted for the second time in a month, spewing lava toward the fishing town of Grindavik. This photographer's taking it all in. It's a bit of a weird feeling to see a town being destroyed in almost in slow motion at this point. Grindavik's a town of some 4,000 on a peninsula about 30 miles south of the Icelandic capital of Reykjavik. They're partying like it's 1992 in the Motor City. Detroit for the first time in 32 years! Your Lions have won a playoff game. The Detroit Lions beat the Los Angeles Rams 24-23 in the wild card round last night. Earlier, the Green Bay Packers upset the Dallas Cowboys. Randy will have more in sports coming up. Also ahead on the noon report for a Monday, Bills Steelers take two. AI takeover and travel ban lifted. Good afternoon. I'm Kevin Williams. For those hit hard by snow of late, well, there's not a lot of rest for the winter weary 
going to be cold air and snow in the forecast, and those details are coming up in 10. All right, Kevin, we'll look for you then. Thank you very much. That travel ban has now been lifted in Erie County, New York, after blizzard-like conditions pummeled the Queen City and the surrounding suburbs for much of the weekend. There's a lot of snow. I mean, there's at least two feet that's fallen in some areas, and uh, it came fast and ferocious. Erie County Executive Mark Polencar. This is Buffalo. This is Erie County. We get lake effect snow. We knew we were probably going to get bad one, and we did. The wicked weather forcing a delay until this afternoon in that Bills-Steelers playoff game at Highmark Stadium. ESPN's Dan Graziano. Supposed to be a high of 17, but doesn't look like there's snow in the forecast during the game, and the wind will be significantly less. In terms of the game itself, two teams that fired their offensive coordinators midseason committed to running the ball more ever since, and so I think you're probably going to see a lot of that. Pittsburgh is going to want to control the clock and keep Buffalo off the field because this one extra day delay is not long enough to get T.J. Watt healthy enough to play. Pittsburgh's still going to have to play this game without its best defensive player as they try and slow down Josh Allen and James Cook and that Buffalo offense. The Bills Steelers kick off at 4.30 on ABC and ESPN and due to all that snow, parking will be limited at the stadium. New York Governor Kathy Hochul. We have up until you know, the fans start coming in the stadium later in the afternoon. If it was a morning game, it'd be a little tougher, but a 4.30 game gives us that time. Again, the weather is not going to be perfect. It will not be a sunny, warm day with no snow, but it's nothing we can't deal with. And so uh, I feel very confident. Rain will be the issue, not snow, in Florida tonight when the Philadelphia Eagles take on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That game set for 8-15. Also on ABC and ESPN, Philly limped into the playoffs, losing five of their last six. They'll be without their leading receiver tonight, A.J. Brown. Jalen Hurts will start at quarterback despite a recent finger injury on his throwing hand. A special election will be held next month to fill a congressional seat left vacant by the sudden ouster of former New York Congressman George Santos. The GOP candidate is Mazi Pillip, an Ethiopian-born former soldier in the Israeli army. I have seven children and I'm not a typical politician. I'm a mother. Oh, who cares about this country? The Nassau County legislator won't say yet whether she'll endorse Donald Trump for president this year. I don't want to say anything for now until we, you know, we're going to give the opportunities for the American people to choose the Republican nominee and whoever it's going to be, I'm going to support that person for sure. The special election for New York's third congressional seat will happen Tuesday, February 13th. Democrats have selected former Long Island Congressman Tom Swazi to campaign for that seat. Swazi accuses his Republican challenger of not taking a stand on the issues that the voters care about. After George Santos, quite frankly, when nobody knew what the truth was about George Santos, I think people have the right to have a candidate that's transparent that we can really find out what they're all about. Swazi says even if he loses the February 13th special election, he will still campaign for that seat for a full two-year term come November. Southern Tier Congressman Nick Langworthy's announced more than $2.5 million in federal grants to fund emergency operations at the Arnott Ogden Medical Center in Elmira. The Republican representative says those funds will help our hospital make sure that it's fully operational given a serious weather and power outage emergency. 
emergency. Our grid was put to the test in the southern tier by windstorms that took a lot of the uh, counties in our district out of power for days. So it just puts a bright light on the need here that we need to make sure that our critical infrastructure, our hospitals, our emergency capacity have the tools they need to take care of people. Western New York Congressman Nick Langworthy, those FEMA funds will be used to purchase emergency generators during severe weather events at Arnott Ogden Hospital. A Pennsylvania politician wants to make cursive writing mandatory in school. Here's Family Life's Brian Query. State Representative Joseph Adams says he is working on legislation in conjunction with over 20 co-sponsors, along with educators and legal experts, that would make the teaching of cursive writing mandatory in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania schools. Adams says the bill is important because the benefits of cursive writing are significant. He also points to studies by neurologists and psychologists which show that cursive is developmentally very important for kids. According to the National Education Association, 21 U.S. states currently have similar motions in place to require cursive writing to be taught. Brian Query, Family Life News. All right, Brian, thank you for that. Let's switch gears next. Talk sports. It's the two-minute drill as the noon report rolls on on Family Life. Good afternoon. I'm Randy Snavely. Bob, for the first time since 1991, the Detroit Lions have won a playoff game, and it was a thriller. The Lions edged the L.A. Rams 24-23 in the NFC wildcard round. Jared Goff completed 21-27 passes for 277 yards and a score, and he did this against his former mates. For the Rams, Matthew Stafford threw for 367 yards and a pair of touchdowns in the tough luck loss. The Rams have not won a playoff game since winning Super Bowl 56. In Texas, I don't think anyone saw this one coming. The Packers put it to the Cowboys in front of a stunned crowd. 48-32 the final. Dallas's defense at times didn't even appear to be on the field. Aaron Jones rushed for three scores. Jordan Love threw for three more. And the Packers, well, they pretty much had it wrapped up at halftime with a 27-7 lead. The Cowboys became the first team to lose to a a number seven seed in the playoffs since the NFL expanded the postseason bracket. A couple of more playoff games happened today with the Steelers in Buffalo to take on the Bills and the Eagles are in Tampa to play the Bucks. On the ice, the Rangers snapped a four-game losing streak, downing the Caps 2-1. Artemi Panarin scored in the first minute of the game, and Alexis Lafreniere scored in the final minute of the first period, and that put the Blue Shirts up by two. T.J. Oshie got Washington within one with his fourth goal of the season, but the Rangers held on from there. Detroit doubled up Toronto 4-2. On the hardwood, Denver, Miami, Milwaukee, Minnesota, and Phoenix, your winners. The Bucks winning in overtime, 143 to 142 against Sacramento. That is a look at sports. All right, Randy, thank you. Still to come on the Noon Report, record cold Iowa caucuses, issues in education with Dr. Ralph Kerr, and the miracle on the Hudson, 15 years later. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. Chuck Holson often described the importance of the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. In 2009, Chuck, along with his fellow authors, Dr. Timothy George and Dr. Robert George, 
cited Dr. King in the Manhattan Declaration, a statement of conscience regarding life, marriage, and religious liberty. In 1955, after only a year of pastoring a church in Montgomery, Alabama, Dr. King was selected to lead an organization that boycotted public transportation. This was in response to the arrest of Rosa Parks, who famously refused to give up her seat for a white passenger on a bus. With a remarkable speaking ability and his advocacy of peaceful protest, Dr. King became a primary voice of the civil rights movement. Chuck Colson would note three significant aspects of Dr. King's work. First, that he was deeply influenced by his Christian faith. Though a series of personal failures are now known to be sadly serial for Dr. King, the principles from which he spoke and wrote were undeniably Christian. Reflecting on Dr. King's time in Birmingham, fighting against segregation and for equal job opportunities for African Americans, Chuck noted the following. During his Birmingham civil rights campaign, Dr. King required every participant to sign a pledge committing to do 10 things. The first was to meditate daily on the teachings and life of Jesus. Others included the expectation that all participants would walk and talk in the manner of love, for God is love, and pray daily to be used by God in order that all men might be free. To truly understand Martin Luther King, students must learn about his Christian faith. It was at the very heart of what he did. Recently, sports commentator Chris Broussard and human rights expert Dr. Matt Daniels have produced a video series that emphasizes the biblical principles which inspired Dr. King's life and work. Dr. Daniels is particularly concerned that the Christian underpinnings of Dr. King's legacy are now being lost. You can find this series, which is called Share the Dream, at churchsource.org. In another commentary, Chuck Colson would note how Dr. King understood divine law as being the source of human law. King's greatest demonstration of this was, of course, his letter from a Birmingham jail, something that Chuck Colson would often refer to as, and I quote, the most important legal document of the 20th century. Here's Chuck Colson. King defended the transcendent source of the law's authority. And in doing so, he took a conservative Christian view of law. In fact, he was the most eloquent advocate of this viewpoint in his time, as, interestingly enough, Justice Clarence Thomas is today. Writing from a jail cell, King declared that the code of justice is not man's law, it is God's law. Imagine a politician saying that today. Based on this belief that God is the ultimate source of law, Dr. King insisted that any unjust law is, in fact, not a law at all. This was the basis of his view of civil disobedience, something that Christians not only could engage in, he believed, but must engage in as faithfulness. Here again is Chuck Colson describing Dr. King's view. One might well ask, he wrote, how can you advocate breaking some laws and obeying others? The answer is found in the fact that there are two kinds of laws, just laws and unjust laws. One has not only a legal but a moral responsibility to obey just laws, King said. But conversely, one has a moral responsibility to disobey unjust laws. How does one determine whether the law is just or unjust? A just law, King wrote, squares with the moral law of the law of God. An unjust law is out of harmony with the moral law. Then King quoted St. Augustine. An unjust law is no law at all. He quoted Thomas Aquinas. An unjust law is a human law not rooted in eternal or natural law. Take a moment today and read Dr. King's Letter from a Birmingham Jail. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with Breakpoint. Thank you, John. Outside we go next, a very cold outside, I might add, with meteorologist Kevin Williams. Here is your family life weather forecast for the call for today. Intervals of clouds and sunshine. Lake effect snow will continue in areas north of Buffalo, across northern Erie and Niagara County, several more inches there. High temperatures, upper teens to the mid-20s. 
for tonight, partly cloudy, clouding up overnight. Some light snow later tonight into tomorrow, generally a couple inches. Low to 19s, high tomorrow, low 20s. Areas of lake snow tomorrow night and Wednesday. Otherwise, variable clouds Wednesday with a few flurries and some sun. And a high in the mid-teens to the mid-20s. All right, thank you, Kevin. This is the Noon Report. I'm your host, Bob Price. Lots going on Monday, the 15th of January. The 2024 race for the White House starts tonight with the Iowa caucuses. A preview from Matt Piper in Des Moines. For some Iowans, this is like their Super Bowl. It's exciting. I mean, it's cool that we get to make our voice and that people put a lot of interest into Iowa. But many who usually caucus admit the rough weather here may be an issue. I think it'll affect it greatly. With the roads being icy and whatnot, it being really cold, I don't think that will be a great turnout. But for Bill David, who does plan to caucus... I think the turnout will probably be uh, a little bit lower, but I don't think the results will be different. Uh, I just think there'll be fewer people. Matt Piper, Des Moines. Former President Trump expected to score a decisive victory tonight. Iowa radio talk show host Jeff Stein. In a half century of contested caucuses, only twice has the winner topped 40 percent. Many of the polls have Trump at 50 percent. Reporter Taylor Papalars continues our coverage on how the weather could throw a curveball on these caucuses. It's important to remember that the Iowa caucuses are in-person voting events. You can only participate if you show up on Monday night, so the weather will be a factor. It's likely to be the coldest caucus night ever. Wind chills could dip to more than 40 below by the time the caucuses start. Besides the weather, the other story this evening could be the battle for second place between Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis. Here's correspondent Kristen Welker. This is mission critical for Ron DeSantis. He has got to come in second place. If he doesn't, it's going to be very hard for him to justify staying in this race, even though his campaign says they're in this for the long haul. He hasn't identified another state that he can win. For Nikki Haley, it would give her incredible momentum heading into New Hampshire. Former GOP Governor Larry Hogan thinks Haley is the only Republican who can beat President Biden in November. She's 17 points ahead of Joe Biden, and uh, it's a toss-up with Trump and Biden, and DeSantis is losing. With polls showing most Americans not keen on a Biden-Trump rematch, West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin says he's still on the fence about mounting a third-party campaign. Manchin adds if he does run, he'll be in it to win it, not interested in playing the role of spoiler. To be a spoiler for the sake of throwing the election one way or the other, I would never do. And uh, that's not what uh, uh, how or what I would never make a decision about. Manchin says he wants to wait until after the March 5th Super Tuesday primaries to see where the two major parties are before deciding if he will run or mount a third-party campaign. The U.S. military has shot down another Houthi missile in the Red Sea. It was fired at a warship by Iran-backed rebels in Yemen. Reporter Trey Yank. An American fighter jet shot down an anti-ship cruise missile that was launched toward the USS Laboon. Those developments in the Red Sea do come as Israel marked 100 days since the October 7th massacre, calling for the release of the remaining hostages. Those hostages were taken by the terror group Hamas on October 7th. Nearly 40% of jobs today are being threatened by artificial intelligence. Business leaders around the world, including the International Monetary Fund, are warning of the troubling trend that they say will worsen inequality in the workplace. In a blog post yesterday, IMF Chief Kristalina Georgieva noted the more devastating impact AI could have on advanced economies like the U.S. as white-collar workers are considered more at risk than manual laborers. I'm Michael Kastner. In entertainment news, joy- 
Joyce Randolph, who played the feisty Trixie on The Honeymooners back in the 1950s, has just passed away. Ow, you're never going to get anything out of Ralph I beg Husband just love to see us beg. Randolph, the last surviving member of that show, was 99 years old. A Virginia state lawmaker wants to let residents take home any game animals they happen to find lying on the side of a road. Republican House member Tony Wilt has introduced what's already been dubbed the roadkill bill. Look, Ma, I'm roadkill. <laughs> the legislation allows anyone who finds a deer, bear, turkey, or any other animal that's been hit by a car to take it home and eat it. The state of Virginia must first inspect the meat to make sure it's safe to consume. Wilt says the roadkill bill will allow Virginians to use available resources that might otherwise go to waste. And it was 15 years ago today that a jetliner had a problem. Yeah, I did 1529, turn right 280, you can land right at we can't do it. Okay, which runway would you like at Teterboro? The calm voice of Sully Sullenberger in the cockpit of U.S. Airways Flight 1549, a flight from New York City to Charlotte. A bird strike forced a landing on the Hudson River. It was literally like 10,000 other days until it very suddenly, shockingly became the ultimate emergency of a lifetime. And we knew it immediately. As soon as the birds hit us and destroyed our engines and we had lost thrust over New York City at low altitude. Sully landed that plane on the water with 155 souls aboard. There were no fatalities. The miracle on the Hudson, as it came to be known, was called by one official the most successful ditching in aviation history. You're plugged into the Noon Report, a Monday edition on Family Life. Welcome back to another edition of Issues in Education. Mondays during the Noon Report, we spotlight the issues impacting our schools with Dr. Ralph Kerr at the Teaching and Learning Institute in Houghton, New York. Ralph, since it's our first show of 2024, let me go ahead and say Happy New Year to you, sir. I don't know when that gets weird to say, but I'll do it anyway. Uh, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Bob. Happy New Year to you and uh, to all our listeners as well. It's great to be with you again today. Well, let's dig right in. Governor Hochul's plan to improve reading proficiency in New York. That was a big topic during last week's State of the State address. What does the governor plan to do here when it comes to reading comprehension, Ralph? And do you support it? Well, if it wasn't so serious, it would be really funny that she called for teachers going back to basics and follow the science of reading. Uh, that seems pretty simple, and I, I wonder what we've been doing. But she's really calling for basic things like phonics and decoding and vocabulary and comprehension uh, development of students, and that is critically important. I do support the initiative. I'm also aware of the fact that there are other factors that fall into this whole thing. I mean, attendance has dropped off in schools. There's an emphasis on other things in schools rather than reading, mm -hmm. but I'm hoping that this uh, new emphasis by the governor and others 
will get us where we need to be on this particular topic. All right, let's head to Pennsylvania now, Ralph. There was a commission studying how the state doles out money for public education, and it uh, concluded last week that the state is shortchanging districts to the tune of $5.4 billion, with a B dollars. Why is it, Ralph, there never seems to be enough money for public education? Well, this is very similar to a situation that happened in New York a few years ago where people were saying that schools had been shortchanged. I can tell you that this year, even though the state has done that, schools are still saying they don't have enough money. So in Pennsylvania, if they're able to come up with those extra billions of dollars, I can guarantee you that two or three years from now, schools will be saying again, we don't have enough money. The problem with it, Bob, is that pretty much all districts are facing a decline in students, and yet their costs are increasing, some really unjustly in my mind. There are places where they have administrators, for instance, that are assistant to the assistant to the assistant, (laughs) just driving the costs endlessly. Well, Dr. Anthony Fauci, one of your favorite people, made news last week, Ralph, uh, the former pandemic point man, told a congressional committee that he has his doubts there was much learning loss during COVID. He may be the only person on the planet that thinks that way, Ralph. Why would the good doctor say something like that? Well, you know, some people would say that uh, Dr. Felsey should actually be in prison. And I'm not sure that that wouldn't be a good idea because, you know, throughout all of his talking during the pandemic, he talked about following the science. And obviously he didn't do that in making the comment that he did about he doesn't believe about learning loss. Obviously, he hasn't even talked to a single teacher because I know I have and every teacher or person in education that I've talked to. And the research clearly shows it as well, Mm. that there was a learning loss and it's significant. And if we're not able to recoup that loss, it's going to continue to be a problem for years. And then finally, Ralph, since this is our first edition of Issues in Education in 2024, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about some of the issues that you think will be news front and center in the classroom in New York and Pennsylvania this year. Well, there are four that I'll mention, but the last three are all tied to one. The first one is there's got to be some rethinking of the measurement of student success. Graduation requirements is what I'm really talking about. The other one, and it's much more encompassing, is the whole issue of finance that we talked about briefly. I believe that teachers' salaries should be dramatically increased. Right now, a person gets a four-year degree and goes into a classroom and may be paid to start $33,000. You can work at McDonald's for $20 an hour Mm. and make that kind of money. There's a lot of money being uh, transferred from the public school system to fund school choice. And as that continues, it's going to take money away from public schools. And then excess expense-driven aid, things like the BOCES aid and transportation, Mm -hmm. those costs are just continuing to increase. And as they increase and school enrollment is down, there is going to be a cliff that schools are going to be faced with. And I'm afraid it's going to come sooner rather than later. All right, there we go. The top issues facing schools in 2024. If you would like to learn more about what Ralph says are the issues to watch out for this year, uh, you have a wonderful website where folks can go and check out the Teaching and Learning Institute. What is that, sir? That's simply whyrun.org. Whyrun.org. 
Thank you very much, Ralph. Issues in Education comes your way Mondays during the Noon Report or online anytime, familylife.org. Oh, good afternoon to all. Here is your Family Life regional weather forecast. Of course, the, the big story of this uh, past weekend, all the heavy lake snows east of Lake Erie and Lake Ontario. And guess who out there? More lake snows in the forecast. For the rest of us, the disturbance from the south will bring a general light snow and flurry pattern later tonight into tomorrow and more Arctic cold in its wake. The call for today, intervals of clouds and sunshine. Lake effect snow will continue in areas north of Buffalo, across northern Erie and Niagara County, several more inches there. High temperatures, upper teens to the mid-20s. For tonight, partly cloudy, clouding up overnight. Some light snow later tonight into tomorrow, generally a couple inches. Low to 19s, high tomorrow, low 20s. Areas of lake snow tomorrow night and Wednesday. Otherwise, variable clouds Wednesday with a few flurries and some sun. And a high in the mid-teens to the mid-20s. All right, thank you very much, Kevin. Great work at the Weather Center. Finally today, grab some cream cheese because it's National Bagel Day. Today we celebrate the kosher carb called the bagel. It dates back to the 17th century, brought to the U.S. by Polish-Jewish immigrants. It's the only bread that's boiled before baking. That's where the chew comes from. And the hole in the center makes them cook faster. According to New Yorker Bagels, the average person eats about 38 of them every year. But be careful. Last year, more than 2,000 people cut their fingers slicing bagels and needed stitches. I'm Bree Tennis. I don't know how she knows that, but thank you anyway, Bree. And that's the world we live in, folks. Monday, January 15th. I'm Bob Price. Family Life News. You've been listening to The Noon Report. Heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening. Thank you.